0: The Battle of Gog and Magog. This future battle has enraptured students of Bible prophecy for millennia. Who are the invaders? Where are they from? Who is being invaded? And what will the result of this important, bloody, Future battle be? Today, we study Ezekiel 38 and 39, Battle of Gog and Magog. You are listening
1: to the Tove Podcast. To the
0: Tove Podcast. Well, welcome to the Tove Podcast. My name is Levi Hazen, and uh, with me today I've got my good friend Dave Zirkel. Dave, welcome to the Tove Podcast. Thank you for having me. Tove Podcast is sponsored by Life in Messiah International. The workers of Life and Messiah have been sharing the good news, teaching the Bible, and discipling believers, all with the priority to the Jew first. You can learn more about Life and Messiah's work around the globe at lifeandmessiah.org. Well, I must admit, Dave, that I'm pretty excited to dive in today's uh, content. Uh, Ezekiel thirty-eight thirty-nine describe a future battle. It is an invasion of Israel. Most commentators with a consistent hermeneutic agree on the major aspects of the invasion. But there are certainly some differences between interpretations, especially when we're talking about the specific locations and the timing mentioned in these two chapters. So as opposed to getting down in the, in the details, in the weeds, so to speak, I'd like to examine the passage at about a 30,000-foot level. Sure. Sure. Uh, so we're going to discuss some obvious aspects of the text, and maybe we'll dive down into uh, some different interpretations every once in a while, but we want to focus on some simple observations. So first, what I'd like to do is simply summarize Ezekiel 38-39. This is my own executive summary of the two chapters, and um, chances are this will be a two-part series, Dave. We'll probably do Ezekiel chapter 38-1 part one today. And then maybe for next week, we'll finish our Gog and Magog by studying Ezekiel 39, which is really the aftermath of the invasion. But here's my executive summary of these two chapters, in case you're unfamiliar with the, uh, with the battle of Gog and Magog. At the end of days, a northern confederacy of nations will be drawn by God to invade the land of Israel. In defense of Israel, God will wipe out the invading army. The army is eaten by birds and other wild animals after their defeat. God will be glorified by the nations because of his mighty act of warfare in defense of Israel. Then, the people of Israel will spend seven months burying the bodies of the invaders and seven years burning their weapons. Because of God's awesome power, the house of Israel will know that they went into exile on account of their sins. God will then restore Israel to a secure land by regathering all the dispersed Jewish people around the globe. After regathering all of them and pouring out his spirit on them, Israel will know that the Lord is their God. For
1: myself, when I heard that you were going to be doing this podcast, I was very excited. Yeah, what, what,
0: what makes you excited?
1: I've always had a fascination with the prophecy and <laughs> God's plan for the plan for the future. And before I came to know the Lord, I knew little bits and pieces of things. And then as I came to uh, know the Lord and study the scriptures and look into things, it became even more fascinating when you look at this from the perspective of how this affects Israel in the future Mm -hmm. and the redemption of Israel. And these two chapters speak directly to the Redemption of Israel, Yeah. God's ultimate plan and how he's going to accomplish that. And I think if you look at these in in that context, it takes on a whole different perspective.
0: Yeah, absolutely it does. Well, let's just dive right in here to Ezekiel chapter 38. We'll try to get through the whole chapter today. And as I'm reading here, Dave, you feel free to, sure. to chime in whenever you have a thought. So starting in verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, turn your face toward Gog, Of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, prophesy against him and say, This is what the Lord God says Look, I am against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Now let's just stop right there. First three verses, we already have good Bible commentators, good interpreters of the scripture, again, implying a consistent hermeneutic who are differing because we have some identification to do here, both in terms of location and in terms of title. So let's start with the first title. It says, Son of Man, turn your face toward Gog of the land of Magog. Now, walk us through, Dave. What could Gog be here?
1: The commentators I've read and and seen, you can talk about an individual, Mm -hmm. a particular king. I've also heard other commentators talk about Gog of Magog being of a spiritual nature. Hmm. And not as much of a particular human individual, but also a a spiritual or spirit governing that particular area. And there's uh, talk of the spiritual forces um, aligned against the Jewish people.
0: Mm. Yeah, interesting. I think, you know, Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum makes the case that Gog is a title. So, for example, the word Kaiser or president, or czar, that Gog is not a name in the sense of uh, someone's official name they were given at birth, but rather it's a title. And I think that's interesting, Uh, that whoever this leader is, their title is Gog. That's fascinating. But then we have, of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. And what we'll see in just a little bit here is that what we know for sure, regardless of whether all of these places are in Russia, possibly they expand into Asia Minor, um, there's several different uh, possibilities there. But what we know is that they're in the north. And it appears that Russia is at least involved in this invasion. And then again, how many other countries uh, are involved, we're not exactly for sure.
1: In talking about the region, it may involve aspects of the, the former Soviet Union, mm. a different part of the Stan countries they call them that were actually part of Russia at one time. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not it's the actual uh, current Russia or not is it, it's debatable, and good people differ on who it is. But the fact of the matter is, when you get down to it, these are nations that are not exactly friendly towards Israel to start with.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, let's keep going here. In verse 4, something very interesting. This Remember, that again, this is the word of the Lord. It's coming to Ezekiel. Verse 4 says, I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and bring you out with all your army, including horses and riders, who are all splendidly dressed, a huge company armed with shields and bucklers, all of them brandishing swords. Now, that's verse 4. Now, we have, again, another possible uh, diversion here of interpretations. It says specifically, with all your army, including horses and riders. Now, you look at the world today and you think, why would an army be on horses? We've given up horses, you know, centuries ago for tanks, for jeeps, uh, for motorized vehicles of some sort.
1: Uh, you can take the allegorical approach to that and say that the horses are actually just uh, conveyances that the armies are are coming in. The other aspect, too, I've, I've heard people say that if you have any type of nuclear exchange prior to this, you can have an electromagnetic pulse that wipes out all of the microchips that drive the vehicles. Mm. So in order for an army to invade, they would have to do it on horseback.
0: Yeah, that's one of the difficult parts here, and, and we'll get to this later, but we have... We really don't know when this battle is coming. We just know it's in the future. This battle's never happened, folks. So just as Ezekiel chapter 37 talks about the revival of the dry bones, which is the house of Israel. By the way, if you're interested in studying Ezekiel chapter 37, you can see season three, episode 23, where we explain in detail Ezekiel 37 and how we are currently in the stages of Israel's return back to the land of Israel. But what we know about this future battle is that it is future. It hasn't happened. And we don't know what the world is going to look like when it takes place. I mean, let's say we were studying this passage back in the year 1700, Dave, which actually 300 years, not that long ago. Correct. The world looks vastly different now than it did 300 years ago. And if this battle takes place even in another 50 years— I got a sense, I got a feeling the world is going to look vastly different again. And so the possibility of these armies being on actual horses, I don't think that's too far-fetched, especially if we have something like a nuclear war. And the idea of another world war happening when two have happened in the last century or so isn't far-fetched either.
1: Another aspect of it comes into the timing as you're talking about 50 years from now, but you also have the prospect of does this occur at the end of the millennium, in which case there wouldn't be the weapons of war that we have currently because of the thousand year reign of Christ during that during that time? I personally don't uh, believe that it would be at the end of the end of the millennium for reasons that, that uh, are delineated in 38 and 39. Mm-hmm. But that is one uh, one suggestion that people have had. Yeah, so it's. Uh, I think the important part um, in that initial phase is is the weapons of war are not as important as the fact that they're coming against Israel. Yeah, and the fact that God is directing Gog and dragging him out with hooks.
0: That's right. It says, "I'll put hooks in your jaws and bring you out with your army." So. You know, God is enticing these hostile armies to come invade the land of Israel. Let's keep going here. Uh, All of these folks are splendidly dressed. There's a huge army armed with shields and so forth. Verse 5, it says Persia, Cush, and Put are with them with all of their shields and helmets, Gomer with all its troops, and Beit Tagorma uh, from the remotest parts of the north along with all its troops. The Moody Bible commentary says that Magog is possibly Turkey that Meshek is possibly Armenia Tubal is possibly Azerbaijan and Gomer could be Georgia we also see that Persia is likely Iran that's a pretty good um we know that one for most, sure because yeah yeah most of, the commentators, yeah, m- yeah, most of the commentators agree on that one Kush is probably Ethiopia put could be Libya uh Beit Tagorma could be modern Syria. But then the fact that we have many peoples listed yeah. opens it up to any other nation right. on the face of the earth. So as you're saying, it's, it's great that the Bible gives us these particular nations. We can identify some of them, and, and some of them were not surprised that they would come against Israel. Uh, but the reality is anybody could join these forces. Verse 7 says, be, be prepared. God here talking to these armies that are hostile. Be prepared and get yourself ready you and all your company who have been mobilized around you, you will be their guard. Verse 8. After a long time, you'll be summoned. In the last years, and that gives us an indication about the timing of this battle. Uh, Another way to say that is the latter days. You will enter a land that has been restored from war and regathered from many peoples to the mountains of Israel, which had long been a ruin. Now, what's amazing is that this prophecy could be fulfilled today because it was only beginning in the 1880s and then, of course, 1948, Israel becomes a nation again. Up until then, Israelites had not started to be gathered to this ancient nation, which was largely desolate, which was largely war-torn. Now, we can see that Israel is a thriving nation, has been so for 70-plus for years now, and these people have been regathered from many different peoples to the mountains of Israel, which had long been a ruin, just as the scriptures said.
1: Right. You can see that the stage is set. The, the stage is the set. All the parts yeah. are there, and the necessary part of Israel being back in the land and being uh, recovered from war. Uh, it's, it could happen anytime.
0: Yeah, that's right. It says, they, being the people of Israel, were brought out from the peoples, or from the nations, and all of them now live securely. Now, whether or not Israel lives securely is a question mark. Uh, For that reason, some people say that this event probably takes place during the time of Jacob's trouble, during the tribulation period, where Israel is guaranteed peace for a certain amount of time until the peace is broken. But does Israel live in peace today? It depends if
1: you're looking at that as an observation That they're living in peace, Mm. or a state of mind that they're living in peace. One thing I've noticed when I went to Israel is they are very confident in their military to protect the people. Yeah. Now, is this a a matter of uh, confidence in their military and a state of mind that they're at peace, or is this an actual observation that they're at peace?
0: Yeah, it's a good question, and one that will remain until this battle takes place. Verse 9 says, You... All of your troops and many peoples with you will advance. Coming like a thunderstorm, you'll be like a cloud covering the land. So, whenever this future battle takes place, it's going to be a massive horde of anti Semites that are pouring across what seems to be the northern, possibly the western, or the, sorry, the eastern boundary of Israel. Verse 10, this is what the Lord God says, On that day, thoughts will arise in your mind, and you will devise an evil plan. That's where we know this is is evil. This is from the enemy here. Uh, God says so. You will say, I'll go against a land of open villages. I'll come against a tranquil people who are living securely, all of them living without walls, without bars or gates, in order to seize, spoil, and carry off plunder to turn your hand against ruins now inhabited, and again against a people gathered from the nations who have been acquiring cattle and possessions and who live at the center of the world. Now that gives us a very interesting insight here about how the Bible views Israel. And over and over again, not only can we see the thread that Israel is this tether point of prophecy, and if we want to know what God is doing, we should probably look at Israel. But right there, the scriptures are very clear. Israelites live at the center of the world.
1: Correct.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's fascinating. It is. So yeah. as Bible students, wouldn't we be wise to always just keep Israel as a timepiece, to keep Israel as that tether? Not that God's not doing other things in other parts of the world. He absolutely is. Uh, God is so sovereign. He's sovereign over the events and the people of the Gentile kingdoms as well. But certainly, as we look at the news in other Gentile kingdoms, we should always keep in mind, what's God doing with Israel? Because Israel is the apple of his eye, as he tells us in the book of Zechariah. You can pick out
1: certain things that affect only the Gentile nations. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the whole Council of Scripture, you see where Israel is a central focus, especially in the end times. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Especially in the end times. So this army that's coming to advance against Israel, they're thinking to themselves, we are going to come against them, and we're going to seize spoil, we're going to carry off plunder. So whatever Israel has must be really valuable to these nations that are coming in.
1: Oh, there's a lot of speculation. And again,
0: there's a lot of speculation about that. In fact, some people speculate that Israel is sitting on a massive oil reserve,
1: that would do it.
0: That would do it, right? If, right? Especially if the world is in a situation where maybe we're lacking oil, where there's an oil shortage. And you look at the rest of the Middle East, Saudi Arabia. You look at other places who have an enormous amount of oil. You got to wonder, is the promised land the one place in the Middle East that doesn't have much oil? I don't know. And again, oil speculation is something that is actually going on right now both off Israel's coast as well as uh on the land of Israel there was a a company that's been around for over a decade now called Zion Oil it's it's led or at least was led by a guy named John Brown who's an American believer and uh, he says that God has led him to start looking for oil in the land of Israel. So one time when I was in Israel a few years ago, I went and visited some of their rigs and so forth. I can tell you there wasn't much going on there. (laughs) And I hope that investors in Zion oil aren't being scammed. I have no idea. But I, I will say this, that over the last few years, there have been huge reserves of natural gas that have been found in the ocean off of Israel's coasts. Natural gas that apparently Israel could use to supply Europe for years to come. So, usually where there's natural gas, I hear, there's oil. There's oil. So, we don't know. Uh, we're just speculating. And it, it could be something completely different other than some kind of a natural resource. Right, Right now, in our day and time, what we think could provoke a war are natural resources. But at that time, maybe it's something completely different. Maybe Israel has some kind of a cure for a worldwide pandemic that's going on at the time.
1: I've also heard about desalinization efforts for the water and making the land
0: fertile. Israel uses tons of salt water for their drinking water today. They basically have created a process which, uh, as Dave mentions, it's called desalinization. And they're taking seawater and turning it into potable water. I think our friends in California would do well to bring over some Israeli experts and learn from them as we're having water shortages uh, almost on a yearly basis across the West. Uh, Whether or not they'll take advantage of that, I don't know. Or maybe it's just cost prohibitive. But either way, there are a lot of different technologies in Israel, some of which we don't even know about, that I think the rest of the world is envious of. And maybe it's one of those technologies in the future that provokes this horde to come and quote, seize spoils. What are these spoils? We don't know. What we do know, Dave, is that right now it's time for a break. And when we come back on the Tove Podcast, we're going to finish the rest of Ezekiel chapter 38 as we study the battle of Gog and Magog on the Tove Podcast. Since 1887, Life in Messiah has helped Christians understand the Jewish roots of our faith and God's ongoing commitment to his people. We teach that anti-Semitism is inconsistent with biblical faith and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which includes her spiritual renewal as well as physical safety. In all we do, our priority is to share the gospel message. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or at lifeinmessiah.org. That's lifeinmessiah.org.
1: Are listening to The Tove
0: Podcast. Welcome back to The Tove Podcast. I'm here with Dave Zirkel as we talk about this future battle called Gog and Magog. We're taking a look at the battle from a 30,000-foot view. Uh, we've already covered the first 13 verses, and what we've learned so far is that there's going to be a horde of anti-Semites who are actually drawn by God to advance over the land into the mountains of Israel. And they're advancing in their own minds so that they can seize spoil, uh, so that they can carry off plunder. And we don't know what that spoil is. We don't know what that plunder is. It's all speculation. We don't know exactly when this battle is going to take place. Some people seem to be more certain than others. We just know that it's in the future. And uh, Dave and I are both in agreement that it's probably not the same battle that's going to take place in the millennial kingdom at the end of the millennial kingdom. Um, And a battle takes place at that time when Satan is released again, after a thousand years to deceive the nations of the earth. And um, the reason being is if you study the two, two battles side by side, it seems there are different outcomes of those battles. Uh, It seems that one of them is just simply uh, taken care of, so to speak, with God's voice. The other one is taken care of, as we'll see here in a second, with some torrential hailstones and, and fire and, and all kinds of good things. So this battle probably takes place either just before the tribulation or during the tribulation.
1: There's also aspects at the end of the millennium of not fitting with some of the timing issues, mm. of burying and burning and things of that nature, and also the uh, ultimate demise of Gog or the, the leader
0: Mm, Yeah, yeah, that's right. But we are ready for verse 14 right now in chapter 38. Uh, It says, Therefore prophesy, son of man, and say to Gog, this is what the Lord God says, On that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know this and come from your place in the remotest parts of the north? And that's where we know for sure that these folks are coming from the north. Even if there are many peoples with them from other nations, at least Gog seems to be from the remotest parts of the north. Now, Dr. Fruchtenbaum makes an interesting point, Dave, in his commentary. He says, if you take a line due north directly from Jerusalem, there's a city that's up there in Russia. Moscow. Moscow. And I find that very interesting, that due north directly, uttermost parts of the north from Israel— Is Moscow. So that should just be taken into our consideration when we think about this future battle. So as we continue here, it says, again, you and many peoples with you. And again, it brings up, who are all riding on horses. Now, again, some commentators think that this is just kind of hyperbole, maybe, or it's allegorical that Ezekiel saw things in his vision, but because he didn't have the words for tank or jeep, or things like that, that he wrote down horses. I tend to disagree with that, although I can I can see it. I tend to gris- disagree with it because I think Ezekiel could have just w- written, there's going to be a war, and there's going to be soldiers. And I don't know what those things are, but they look scary. He could have just been very general since he didn't have the words for them, but he's actually very specific that there's going to be horses. He's actually very specific that they're going to have shields and spears and bows and arrows and so forth. And I just wonder, would he be that specific, especially several different times here, if he didn't actually see that that's what the army was riding on? So I happen to think, and I could be wrong here, that these folks are actually riding on horses. And again, as we discussed earlier, Dave, what happens to the world to make an army begin riding on horses again is anybody's guess but I think it's probably, there was, something's coming that's going to make it happen.
1: Well, it certainly takes a lot less mental work to believe that it is what it says, that they're riding on horses, as opposed to, well, it could be this, it could be that.
0: Yeah, yeah that's right. So verse 16 says, You'll advance against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. It'll happen in the last days, Gog, that I will bring you against my land, so that the nations may know me when I show myself holy through you in their sight. Now we're getting to one of the main points of this battle here. And that is so that God himself will be glorified through this battle. God desires that all nations know that he is the only God of the universe, that he is the sovereign God, that the God of Israel is the only God out there. And it seems to me that one of the reasons for this battle is so that the nations will know God when he shows himself holy through this battle. Verse 17 says, this is what the Lord God says. Are you the one I spoke about in former times through my servants, the prophets of Israel, who for years prophesied in those times that I would bring you against them? Now on that day, the day when Gog comes against the land of Israel, this is the declaration of the Lord God. My wrath will flare up. Why would God's wrath flare up? Because God has concern for his people Israel. Because God says that the apple of his eye is the people of Israel, and he has concern when they're under attack. And so God says his wrath is going to flare up. He says, I swear in my zeal and fiery rage, on that day there'll be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. Now we learn something new here. Not only is there going to be a massive horde coming into the land, God's going to cause an earthquake. Just so we know that the God of the universe is involved here.
1: So That's also one way in which you know that this has not happened in the past. Yeah. There are some that say it happened in the past, but when was the huge earthquake? Yeah.
0: When was the huge earthquake at the same time of an advancing army?
1: It's interesting you have the the two different uh, viewpoints going on here. The, The people are coming out to take spoil so you know their purpose, mm. but then you have the ultimate divine purpose that God has in restoring Israel.
0: What's God's viewpoint here? What's God trying to accomplish? Because if we try to look at just the world and what they're trying to accomplish, even in our own personal lives, it's oftentimes confusing. And we just have to always come back to the perspective, God, I know that you're good. I know that you're trustworthy. I know that nothing happens either on the world stage or in my personal life without you knowing about it. And one thing you
1: can take away from this particular part of the passage, too, is there's going to be no mistaking mm. that God is the one that rescues Israel. Yeah. That people will know yeah. that he did it.
0: That's right. That's right. And the other reason I would say, Dave, that we know that this has not happened yet is because when were there, when were the people of Israel dwelling securely in their own land? Right. And so— Now that Israel is dwelling securely in their own land, that all of a sudden opens up the possibility to Ezekiel 38 happening any day now. As we continue here, it says in verse 18, Now on that day, the day when Gog comes against the land of Israel, again, God says, My wrath will flare up. I swear in my zeal and fiery rage, on that day there'll be a great earthquake. Verse 20 says, The fish of the sea... The birds of the sky, the animals of the field, every creature that crawls on the ground and every human being on the face of the earth will tremble before me. This is a worldwide event here. Sure, it's a regional event that is invading a particular country. But this is going to be a worldwide event in the sense that everybody is going to tremble at God's doing here.
1: Even nature.
0: Even nature. In fact, it says the mountains will be thrown down, the cliffs will collapse, and every wall will fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against him, Gog, on all my mountains, and every man's sword will be against his brother. And we learned something else there. It seems that the armies of Gog will start to turn against each other, which we've seen before in other Old Testament battles, when God right. confuses invading armies and people get you know, confused for one reason or the other, and they start to turn their swords on each other. That's going to happen again in the future. Verse 22 says, I will execute judgment on him, Gog, with plague and with bloodshed. Now we see something new there. There's going to be a plague involved. I will pour out torrential rain, hailstones, fire and brimstone on him, as well as his troops and the many peoples who are with him. So, This is a case, as good as the IDF is, Dave, and and the IDF is good. They are. God wants full glory here for himself. And God wants to be Israel's defender by himself here. And it seems that he is going to take the defense of Israel on his back, and he is going to defeat these invading armies by himself. Verse 23 tells us why. In conclusion of the chapter God says I will display my greatness and holiness and I will reveal myself in the sight of many nations then they will know that I am Yahweh That concludes chapter 38 Dave this part 1 series of Gog and Magog we've learned quite a few th- quite a few things about that about this battle closing words from you
1: It's amazing how God works in Displaying his his splendor, displaying his greatness and his power. And this is one clear indication of how that how that will be. Mm-hmm. And there's I see so many times on television people trying to explain away things from the Bible. Mm. This
0: will not be explained away. Mm. Yeah, it's gonna be evident for everybody to see. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our study of Ezekiel chapter thirty eight today, Gog and Magog. Be sure to join us next week as we dive into the disposal of Gog, basically the aftermath of all of these invaders. After God smashes them to pieces and gets glory for himself, what happens next? We're going to talk about that next week. If you've enjoyed today's episode, I'd invite you to uh, take the link and share it with others. And you can get other episodes of the Tove Podcast anywhere you download your podcasts or at lifeandmessiah.org. Until next week, shalom.